All right, you ready for the game to start? Yeah, woo! I'm excited for this series. You know, when we were prepping for this series, um, we're looking at uh, David, the account of David and the origins of who David is. And, and we were crafting it, or it was like, we were trying to come up with titles, and one of them was like, How to Slay a Giant or How to Slay, but for some reason that one got X nayed. Um, but how to slay a giant. And as we were looking at it, uh, I was like, yeah, th this is helpful because, you know, we all face huge problems in our life, right? These things that are gigantic. And it could be like fighting with depression, fighting with your chronic anxiety. It could be overcoming something that you thought is impossible, some grief, the loss of someone you love. Maybe it's something going on with work or with school and you're like, I don't even know. It looks like it, a huge giant to you. And, and we all have those things in our life, but... This series isn't a how-to because your giant is, is gonna be different than somebody else's giant. It's not gonna be like Goliath that you can just get a, a five smooth stones and, and swing it around and boom, take out your giant. That's just not how it works. If I shared how I overcame some of my giants in the past or some of you shared your giants, it would be different for every single person because we all face different giants and sometimes different giants in different seasons of our lives. So we decided to call our series Giant Slayer because the question isn't how, it's who. It isn't how do you slay your giant, though that would be helpful, right? We'd like to know that. But it's who can be a giant slayer. And we're gonna learn who that can be today, or whom, if, if you're so inclined. Who is a giant slayer? Because every single one of us, if we are called and chosen by God, can become a giant slayer. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you can be a giant slayer. There we go. Type it in on the chat too. You can be a giant slayer. Tag a friend. Because you can be a giant slayer and we're gonna learn how as we look at the origin of David. Over the next four weeks in this series, we're gonna see how David became this little shepherd boy and how he became a giant slayer and, and did even more incredible stuff after that. So we're gonna be in a portion of the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17 over the next four weeks. So if you're here, even if this is your very first Sunday, maybe you're checking us outline for the first time, I want you to subscribe. Go to, uh, you can go on YouTube, you can get your podcast app, whatever it takes, subscribe, because this series I want you to commit to four weeks. If you're new even to Christianity and you're like, I don't know about this whole church thing, just commit to four weeks. It'll give you a better idea of who we are as a church. So I don't care if you don't like me at all right now, just subscribe for four weeks. Give us a chance. Can't figure out anything in one hour. And we're gonna do that. This series is gonna be so important. I don't care if you're traveling. I don't care if you're going to Alaska. Um, you can watch online through YouTube, get your podcast app, download that and subscribe. In four weeks, uh, and if you do have um, on your phone the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, um, you can use that. We're gonna have all the notes that we're gonna take today and throughout this series. If you find our event under more on the bottom right-hand corner and then Rice Church Denver in the middle, um, and we're gonna cover chapter 16 and 17, and, and we are gonna learn how to become a giant slayer because the question we ask ourselves, and today this is what we're gonna focus on, the, the question is, how do I have the strength how do I have the power to face those giants that seem daunting? For some of you, you need that right now. You're like, I, I need it. I'm, I'm facing a giant right now. Some of you, this is preparing you for the future. But I want you to listen up because we're gonna learn how to get the strength, how to get the power to do that because all of us can have that power and we can learn from David how we can get it. 
So what we're gonna see in this passage, it's a little interesting because it starts with Samuel, hence the name of the book, 1 Samuel, although he dies before 2 Samuel, so we don't really know who wrote the second part. But it's in the vein of Samuel, who was the great prophet of God, and we're gonna see how Samuel has been this great leader of the nation, and he's passing on leadership, in a sense, to David. So this first chapter, we're gonna really focus a lot on Samuel till we get to our fifth point. We're gonna have five points today. And the first four points are gonna teach us what gets in the way. Because really, that's the problem. We have these giants, and we let things get in the way from us going up against the giant. So the first four points from Samuel, we'll learn what not to do. And the fifth point is gonna teach us how we can become the giant slayer and have the power we need to face our giants. You guys ready? Okay. Point number one, if you're taking notes, if you're on your phone, make sure you're taking notes. Don't let the past get in the way. This is the first thing we see from Samuel that we often let the past get in the way of us becoming the giant slayer we need to be. So let's read together in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse one. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So here we jump into the middle of this book with Samuel crying. He's mourning. And it's kind of an interesting, I don't know, it's probably some complex emotions that Samuel is feeling at this point, but whatever it is, he has been mourning for a long time. Now there's nothing wrong with mourning. In fact, the Bible commands us to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. There's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations, which is like you should be sad sometimes because bad things happen in your life. But there comes a point in our lives where we're letting that past, whatever it was that we're sad about, the person, the issue, the idea that has died, and we're just letting it hold us back. And the past keeps us from the good future God has for us. So don't let the past get in the way. And we're learning that already. God's like, how long, okay? He's like, okay, you've been crying for a while. And it probably was quite a long while. But he says, how long? Because it's time for you to get going. God has a new plan for the one he has chosen. Um, I think we often let the past get in the way and it might be from mourning, like it said that, but, but sometimes it's even just the way God worked in the past. And we're like, why can't God do the same thing again? And I, I wonder if that's what Samuel was struggling with because Samuel was the great prophet of Israel. He had spoken in a time where God didn't speak. There were no visions. He was the seer. He could see things. He spoke for God. And yet God's people still wanted a king. They're like, we wanna be like all the other people. Look how cool they are. And God said, you can have a king. So first Samuel anointed a king named Saul. And Saul was the king of Israel for quite a while. At first it started out, it's seemingly okay, maybe good. Saul won some battles, it's great. And then Saul became disobedient. He made a lot of bad leadership decisions. And eventually when God very specifically said to do something, he didn't do it. And God rejected him through Samuel. God spoke to Samuel saying, it's time to reject this king. He is no longer my anointed one. So in all of that, that, that's how God had worked in the past. Now Samuel is very sad because that past was the way God had worked. And he's like, how can we even move into the future because the past was not good? The leader you provided God was not good. How, how can I keep moving forward? And, and this past was holding Samuel back 
from the future God had for him. And I think that happens to us too. You have something in your past and you look back, it might be some sin, some guilt, some shame you're carrying around. It might just be something that failed in the past. A situation that didn't work out the way you wanted it to. And when we have those failures, we're like, we get stuck in them, don't we? Just kind of stuck in that groove in the mud and it's just not moving forward. It's like, ah, nothing's gonna go my way. We begin to make that like almost our identity, our past. Well, it just never works out for me. I never can get ahead. And that past can keep us from the good future God has for us. So we've, we can't let that get in the way. I, I, I love the story um, that, that I think illustrates this really well. Um, it, it's the story of Beethoven, not the dog. Um, the composer. You, you probably know Beethoven um, because Ludwig von Beethoven was an incredible pianist. He, he was considered one of the greatest musicians of his generation. He had studied under some uh, incredible composers and musicians like um, uh, of his day, and Antonio Salieri. Um, I had re- remember all those guys. <laughs> Joseph Hayden. Okay, so he studied on these guys. He was like the greatest musician of his day playing the piano. But then in his, to his late 20s, when he should be at almost the peak of his uh, musicianship, he started getting a ringing in his ears. And he, as a musician, soon discovered that he was going deaf. So he tried to continue playing for quite a while, doing concerts, and he had to play louder and louder just to be able to hear himself. And it seemed that he is a musician because he did eventually have to completely stop playing, that it was over for him, right? The past of being this great musician that was popular, well-liked, that, that, that his past would define his future. But he didn't let that happen, did he? He started becoming a composer. And in order just to hear himself, he had to bang even louder on his piano where we get like Beethoven's fifth, dun, 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 right? Maybe the most famous four notes of all time, right? because he had to bang so loud. And then he would take a pencil between his mouth and he would stick it on the strings of the piano so he could feel the vibrations and know which note he was playing. And because he couldn't hear all the other composers of his day, he started writing some stuff that was like out there, avant-garde, right? This was new, he's using notes and combinations that nobody else is doing because he can't hear what everybody else is doing. And it eventually allowed him to, to compose his ninth symphony, which is considered perhaps his best, one of the greatest um, compositions of all time. And when he went um, to, to perform it for the first time, he insisted that he be the co- conductor. But they had another conductor behind him. People were actually watching, right? But he did. He wanted to be up there so he could feel the music. And after he finished that magnum opus, he had to have one of the musicians had to physically turn him around because he didn't know that the entire crowd had given him a standing ovation. And they knew he was going deaf, so they threw up their hats, threw up their scarves, just to show him how much they loved and appreciated his incredible work of art. See, he didn't let his past define his future. And I believe even he knew that God was working in it because one of the lines that is sung at the very end of that symphony says, joy, a spark of fire from heaven. I think he knew that God had given him a second Life, a second when the past didn't need to define his future. He could slay the giant of his own deafness as a musician. Don't let the past get in the way. 
Whatever your past is, leave it behind. God can do a new thing. That's what he says through the prophets again and again. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Jesus said, throw out the old wineskins. New wine has to be in new wineskins. There's something new happening. Don't let the past get in the way. That's the first thing. But the second thing is one of the things that often we feel when it comes to giants, and it's fear. Don't let fear get in the way either. We all have it. We're all afraid of these things, and that's why a giant seems so big. We feel overwhelmed at the thought of it, afraid to face it. But in verse two, it says, but Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Okay, he's literally afraid of being killed. It's probably a pretty legitimate threat because Saul was the king. If he anoints another person as king, that's an act of treason, right? Samuel could be killed. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. In verse three, invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. God gave him a cover story. Did you notice that? He was legitimately afraid. This is a life and death situation. And sometimes our giants are like that. Sometimes they're just terrifying. And it could be a life-threatening situation. You could be facing a disease or cancer and you're like, I don't know how we deal with this. It's a giant. It could be something terrifying that you're going and stepping into a situation I love the story of John and Margaret Payton. They were missionaries who went into um, an island in the South Pacific, now known as Vanatu. Um, and when they went there, there was a bunch of cannibals who had never seen Westerners, never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine going into that situation? That's life and death. I'm terrified at the thought of that. I don't wanna be eaten. I don't think you do either. Terrifying, right? But yet John Payton said that I am immortal till God's work is done with me. See, we are immortal until God is done with us. So we can step into those situations of terror and fear, just like God is like, yeah, it is terrifying, but I'm gonna give you a cover story. God like, doesn't want Samuel to die. Like We gotta get this guy anointed first, right? God, like, God isn't gonna just send us into a terrifying situation just because, but he brings these giants into our life so we can learn to overcome the fear that we have within us. So don't let fear get in the way. In fact, in 2 Timothy 1.7, we are told God gave us his spirit and the spirit doesn't make us weak and fearful. Instead, the spirit gives us power and love. That's what we need. Some of you need that power. You're living in fear. You're like, I can't overcome this. I can't get past whatever's going in front of me. But that fear, God is saying, move forward anyways. Don't let that get in the way. Keep moving. You don't need to live in fear. God has a plan. He has a cover story. He has a cover story. So that's the second thing that often gets in the way is fear. The third thing, don't let what you see get in the way. It's what we see with our eyes. It's like, literally, I see the situation. I know what's going on. This is what I perceive. And yet we allow what we see to get in the way of what God can do because God can do things way bigger than what we see, ask, or imagine. When Samuel finally does get to the house of Jesse, where God has sent him, it says in verse six, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Eliab must have been a good looking dude. 
he must have been ripped. The oldest son, broad shoulders, strong biceps. This guy looked like a king because immediately when Samuel sees Eliab, he's like, this guy's it. What I see is a king. That's king material. And he had seen Saul before that. Saul was king material. Some people just have a look about him. But what we see can often get in the way of what God is actually trying to do. In verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We got all sorts of saying for this in our own culture, right? Don't judge a book by its cover, right? Not all that is gold glitters. Appearances can be deceiving. Don't we say all these things? And yet we still are deceived all the time by what we see. There's been some studies that the average CEO of a company in the United States is six feet tall, even though the average male in our country is 5'9". Why do we pick the taller people? Oh, they're leaders. Look at them, how tall they are, right? There was another study that found that for every one inch of height you have, you can make on average $789 a year more. You get paid more just by your height. Like we discriminate based on looks. And when someone looks tall, they look big, they look imposing, they've gotta be a leader. Let's pay them more. This is what we do, right, as human beings. We are always just seeing what's in front of us and seeing the issue, seeing the problem, and that's the only way that God can work, right? Because that's what we see. But God is, our, is the God of invisible, of the things that we could not even see or imagine. His thoughts are way higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. We can't be confined to just what we can see because when you see that problem, you might be completely paralyzed in fear. There's no way we can move past this, but you can't see what God sees. He's got angel armies around you. He's got a power that you could not even comprehend. He created the universe when he spoke a word. Your problem is nothing to our God. So don't let what you see get in the way. Don't let what you see get in the way. And, and this has actually been the, this was actually the problem with Saul. <laughs> this is interesting. Look, look back with me in, in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. Uh, it says, they ran, all, all the people ran and brought Saul out when they first anointed him. And he stood among the people. He was a head taller than any of the others. A head taller. Okay, this guy is tall. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. This was Samuel there. He saw it. The people saw it. This guy's the one, but he wasn't because his heart wasn't the heart that could be used by God. In fact, when God rejects Samuel in 1 Samuel 13, 14, it says the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. That's what he said to Saul. God wants someone after his own heart. Now we're gonna talk a lot about David over the next four weeks, about his heart and, and how God could use him. But I think what's really fascinating is that phrase, after his own heart, it is kind of tricky to translate in the Hebrew and we try to interpret what that means in the English. We're like, well, there's something special about David. 
Okay, he had a grit and a determination. Don't we have a whole genre of stories called David and Goliath stories? Okay, even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of David and Goliath. Everybody knows David and Goliath. It's the underdog, right, that wins. And that's what most of us think of about this story. We kind of take that concept and put it onto this story. But as we're gonna see, it's really fascinating. David is not one time described as small or short. Yet in your mind, you picture him as pretty short, don't you? He's probably just not as tall as Saul. Definitely not as tall as Goliath. And what I love about the phrase after his own heart is that we have actually uncovered it in a couple different ancient documents from around the ancient world of this time. And it's a phrase that means the king picks someone that he likes. It describes why the king picks a person, not what's inside the person that they pick. Does that make sense? He picks someone after his own heart, someone that, uh, that he wants to pick. He chooses who he wants to choose. He's gonna do something different because the king wants it. And our king is, of course, the God of the universe. And when he sees David, he sees someone that he can use. And he chooses him because of that. And that's why we can't base anything off sight. Doesn't matter if someone looks like they got the right pedigree, they went to the right schools, they're the right height, the, the right skin color, that there's anything about them. No, 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 we cannot base anything on our eyes because God sees someone's heart and what's in there. And it's after his own heart that he chooses someone to use to slay giants. So don't let what you see get in the way. But here's the fourth thing. Don't let the repetitions get in the way. This is fascinating how this story plays out. Because first there's Eliab and God's like, ain't that one. Then there's Abinadab. God's like, nope, not him either. Then Shema. And then it says seven in verse 10. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to them, the Lord has not chosen these. Already seven sons all rejected. It's kind of interesting that God is like putting Samuel through this process. Like he knows what's going on. It's like, not that one, not that one, not that one, not that one. Okay, come on, let's keep bringing the sons out. Gets through all seven of them and still is not the right son. That's a lot of sons, okay? All seven of them are, are not enough. But in verse 11, Samuel kept going anyways. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest Jesse answered, he is tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. This might've taken hours. Like who knows how big the fields are. Shepherds take the sheep way out there, okay? Maybe this, this took a while, but he's like, we standing. Don't you move. We're not done. Everybody's like, really? Okay. Because Samuel knew that the repetitions, no matter how many it takes, are not enough until God comes through. It doesn't matter if it's already been seven, there's an eighth. And so th this is important for us because you might be like, well, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried that, we'll keep going. The repetition shouldn't get in the way of what God's going to do. He has a good future for you, so keep going, keep moving until God shows up. I learned this from uh, Pastor Sam <laughs> the other day. Do you know how many... Um, light bulbs Thomas Edison and his crew had to go through before they found the right filament? 2,774 different attempts. Okay, 2,774, no wonder why he's the one who invented the light bulb. 
Because he kept at it. He doesn't, it doesn't matter how many repetitions there are. It doesn't matter how many tries and fails there are. You keep going because it's always the eighth one. <laughs> you know, it's, when you're looking for your keys, keys, it's always the last place <laughs> that you look, right? Don't let the repetitions keep you back. Keep moving. Keep trying. Because God is a giant slayer. And he wants to make you one as well. And that's what leads us to our fifth point. As we begin to focus now on David. Let God empower those he chooses. Let God empower those he chooses. Let God empower those he chooses. Verse 12. So he sent for him and had him brought in. And David was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. Have you ever noticed this verse? I find it so fascinating because it's like, Saul was so tall, but it's not him. Eliab is tall and strong, it's not him. And yet David comes out and like, he's good looking, okay? He might not be Dwayne The Rock Johnson, but he's the Tom Cruise, okay? He looks good. This doesn't make any sense if this is a David and Goliath story, right? If it's all about the short underdog who overcomes all obstacles and odds, that he has this determination and grit. No, no, David's actually a good looking dude. We're gonna be told in the next section that he was actually a strong warrior. He's a shepherd, a warrior, like this guy has it all. It has nothing to do with his sight, right? Do you understand that? It has nothing to do with the way he looks compared to Eliab or compared to Saul or anything. I think God throws this in there. He's like, in case you're thinking God only picks underdogs, no. God picks who he picks. He chooses who he chooses and he empowers the one he chooses. And some of us are so trying to figure out why does God use that person and not that person. But God chooses who he chooses. He is sovereign, he is in control and he knows what he's doing. I want you to see, God describes how he, he picks people multiple times in the Bible. I wanna show you just a couple. Deuteronomy chapter seven. The Lord your God has chosen you, speaking to the Israelites, out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasure possession. Why? Let's keep reading. The Lord has not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. He didn't choose you because you were special or big or strong or great. He picked you because he loved you. And then in 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, it says, but God cho chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things so that no one may boast before him. Do you understand that? It's not something special in you that God chooses you. He chooses you and makes you special. He loves you just the way you are. So if you're like, my special talents, my special gifts, my, no, no, my stick to itiveness, my grit. No, 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 God chooses you because he chooses you. And when he chooses you, he empowers you. 1 Samuel 16, 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Do you recognize that? When he was chosen, the spirit of God came powerfully upon him and it stayed on him. And this is why David did not write any of the Psalms that we love from him. Psalm 23, man, some of the greatest poetry ever written. David didn't slay a giant. 
David didn't become king of Israel and conquer nations until the spirit of God came upon him in power. That was a prerequisite to being a giant slayer. Do you understand what I'm saying here? The same thing happens with Jesus, God's own son who came. Jesus didn't proclaim the gospel. He didn't heal people. He didn't cast out demons. He didn't die on the cross in your place for your sins until at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came on him in the form of a dove. And the Father in heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then from that power, he went out and did all the incredible things he did because he too was a son of David. This is how you become a giant slayer. You need the spirit of God on you because God is actually the one who slays a giant. God is the actual one who can overcome the problems in your life. You can't do it on your own. Do you remember what Jesus said in, in the passage we just looked at in John 15, five? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Not anyone can do anything. You can't conquer a giant. You can't slay those problems that you can't. You can't overcome your addiction without the spirit of God in you. And when God chooses to give you his spirit, he also empowers you. And if you're like, well, Matt, I'm not a David though. I'm not a Jesus. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said. Do you remember this last week? John 15, 16 said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. If you hear my voice, God is saying, I'm choosing you, I'm calling you. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says that God is faithful. He is the one who has chosen you to share life with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In Romans 8, 28, we know that in everything, God works for the good of those who love him. These are the people God chose. He called because that was his plan. He chose you to overcome your obstacles. And in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, he chose to give his spirit to you. He says, God has chosen you from the beginning to save you from the punishment of sin. He chose to make you holy by the Holy Spirit and to give you faith to believe the truth. And in 2 Timothy 1.9, we read that God saved us and chose us to be his holy people. We did nothing to deserve this, but God planned it because he is so kind. Even before time began, God planned for Christ Jesus to show kindness to us. This means that God chose you in Jesus before the creation of the world. And that's really good news because as Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher once said, it is a good thing that God chose me before I was born because he surely would not have afterwards. <laughs> Amen, right? That's the good news. It's not you that can slay a giant. It's God in you. And he has chosen you. He has called you according to his purpose. He's called to work in all those things for the good of those who love him. He chose you for that. And because of that, he gave you his spirit to live inside you. The same spirit that David had to slay Goliath. The same spirit that Jesus had to overcome the grave. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is living in you. You are empowered. You can slay your giants because of God's power in you. God empowers those he chooses. That's what I love about this passage. It's not special David, it's a special God. It's not this scrappy little guy who can overcome the obstacles. No, it's a God who can overcome everything. So whatever that giant is that you're facing, know that you can slay a giant because God chose you and he empowered you. I'm telling you that some of you need to hear this right now. 
because you're feeling scared. You're feeling like the past. There's no way God can do this new thing. But I'm telling you, I need it. I wake up some mornings. I woke up this morning like, God, I need your help today. Like, I can't do this today. I need your spirit today. Maybe you hear me mumbling sometimes when I'm coming up on the stage. That's why I always have my microphone off because I'm like, God, I need your help. Jesus, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I need your help. We need God's spirit every moment of every day to empower us. And because he chose us, he gave us his spirit. The moment you believe, you receive that same spirit to live inside of you and dwell inside of you forever. And he gives you a power that maybe you don't even know you have. And it's time to tap into that power so that you can become a giant slayer. Let's pray. Lord God, I know there's people in here who are terrified. They don't know how they can keep moving ahead. Some are even watching online because they're too terrified even to go to church. They can't get out of bed. Lord God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would empower us. We need your help. We need your hope. We need your spirit. Just like you empowered David to slay a giant, empower us to slay our giants, to overcome the obstacles in front of us and to become the giant slayers you have called us to be. Now with eyes closed, I just want to tell you that the only way to have that spirit living in you is to by asking God to live inside of you, to declare that Jesus is Lord, to receive his forgiveness, and also to receive that spirit to live inside of you. So I'm telling you this because some of you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ before, and that spirit doesn't live in you, and that giant should be terrifying, but God wants to empower you, and if you want to tap into that power, to have him with you everywhere you go and no matter what trial you face, you've got to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. So I'm gonna give you you a a simple way to respond with a prayer to declare Jesus as Lord and Savior and receive that spirit. It's not a magical prayer, but it's a way that you can call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray it for the first time. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior, save me, forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Give me the gift of eternal life. Fill me with your spirit, fill me with your power and help me to follow you and slay my giants. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we just wanna celebrate with you. And we also wanna give you a special book that we put together to just help you with some next steps. So on the count of three, raise your hand high in the air and I'll be looking, we have a couple people that will be helping, but, but this is between you and God. So on the count of three, put your hand in the air. One, two, three. Put your hand high in the air if you made that decision today. Put your hand in the air so we can uh, get, get you a book. If you're online, go to risedenver.com slash follow. Lord God, we, we just pray that you'd help all of us um, follow you, trust you, be empowered by your spirit as we go out from here, that we would not just be inspired, but empowered to face our giants. And I pray that you would be with those today who are publicly saying that they have that spirit living inside of them and that we could celebrate together in Jesus' name, amen.